everyone. Welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. We've got guest Greg Smith of 2QBs.com joining us today to talk about Week 13 rankings and some news. I'm your host, Bobby Sylvester. Let's get into it. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm, I'm bumming about this uh, this FanDuel uh, deal with uh, with the, the Kings game and 76ers game being canceled. But you know what? You got football coming up on the weekend, so it's all good. Yeah, I haven't even started to dig very deep into NBA DFS yet. That usually happens after football season, but I, I feel yeah. for you, man. That's a really messed up situation. <laughs> it is. It's not good. Uh, anyways, Greg, I've been gearing up for Amir Abdullah to return for a few weeks now. And they've been they've been saying he was going to start practicing this week, but he's still in a walking boot. Even if he does come back at this point, do you think he's even startable? Uh, not really. I, I, I mean, he's definitely not going to play this week based upon the reports we're seeing. And even in future weeks, I'm not sure he'd really add much to the Detroit offense, especially after such a long layoff. You know, I, I think I, I think you're better off letting others in your leagues take the bait on him. I was watching him uh, earlier this season, and I was so impressed with what I saw. Now, this Detroit offensive line is not very good, so uh, it's pro- probably not going to work out, but he's a player that I'm really interested in for next year. I think if they improve their offensive line and get him really involved with the offense, we could be looking at a really good running back here. Yeah, I'm not totally sold on that, if only because they do still have Theoretic and they have so many other good short yardage options, you know, like Ebron, like Golden Tate. Um, I don't know. I, I, th- I think that the like the hype on Amir Abdullah as a rookie is still kind of carrying over and I mean we'll see where it goes but um I'm not optimistic but you know I hope he turns it around he he seems like an exciting player and and I always root for these guys you know likewise Greg we've got Adrian Peterson who could be activated soon uh they're saying he's way ahead of schedule which is just crazy he's a cyborg but let's say he's healthy for week 15 it's his first game that he's active do you play him in a crucial fantasy playoff game I I mean I think I'm just going to ditto everything I said for Abdullah like I just don't think you can trust him after such a long layoff the problems with the Minnesota running game like they're not even entirely talent related I mean we know Jarek McKinnon is a talented player and McKinnon just hasn't been able to do anything because that offensive line is terrible Minnesota lacks you know a legit passing threats I think it kind of dooms their running game in general now AP will be better than who they have Asiata and McKinnon but will he be good enough to start in week 16 after not having played for so long I don't know like unless your roster has an extremely deep bench I'd let somebody else fumble around with him and you know use your own roster space on handcuffs and streamers for for the next couple weeks see Greg I I don't think I'd be able to resist I mean he was drafted in the first round I had Chris Harris on he was talking about he's the third best fantasy player going into the season and I just think if you have a player like that even if there's just a chance that he's going to get on the field for more than 50% of the chance uh, of the snaps, you play him. I, I, I think that I would have to play him, and so I'm happy to say I won't ha- be having to make that decision, but it's going to be a tough one, man. It's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in certain contexts you can hold him and hope out for that. Like, I'm doing that in uh, the Scott Fishbowl, which is a, this gigantic tournament of, uh, you know, like a super flex league with 480 dif- different teams. In that sort of format, it makes sense because it's basically like a DFS tournament in the playoffs where you you really need to have those high-variance plays to win. But in your regular 10-team or 12-team seasonal league, I, I don't know. Like you have, to, you have to make it to Week 16 in the first place, and I'm not sure you're really aiding your chances of doing that by wasting a roster spot on Peterson. So, I, I mean, I, I get that he's talented, but he's just that's, – that's not the way I play, at least. 
See, Greg, this is where we disagree on uh, on bench spot theory, which I guess is probably not very important for fantasy football. But at this point in the season, I don't care about having a fifth or sixth wide receiver or a second tight end. I mean, what am I going to do with Tavon Austin? I'm never going to play him, so I might as well go for a real high upside guy. And that's why I'm stashing my bench with uh, with Adrian Peterson. Well, I, I don't, but Amir Abdullah is, is someone that I've had. Uh, you know, I've got backup running backs, be it Alfred Morris, uh, Andre Ellington. I've got lots of backup running backs, and I'm just waiting, hoping maybe one of these guys will make a difference because I know guys like Tavon Austin just aren't going to cut it for me. No, I absolutely agree with all of that, to be to be fair. Um, you make a lot of good points. I, I think that with Peterson, it's a little different because he's coming back from injury. You know what I mean? I I think that's the the difference maker for me. I I do agree that right now you should not care about having depth. What you should care about is having you know the best possible lineup this week. And if you can look ahead to the following week, trying to line up somebody for that. And if if Adrian Peterson is in your plan for that in week sixteen, you know Godspeed to you. But the thing is, is that we we don't know how good he's going to be. We don't even know if he's going to play in that game. So he's too much of an unknown. Whereas like a guy like Alfred Morris, a guy like Damian Williams. Those types of players who, you know, are healthy enough to play that you know if the guy in front of them gets hurt is these other guys are going to come in and take over. I love I love stashing those guys right now. I think that that's spot on. I, I think you can also play defense uh, with your bench spots as well. You know, pick up a bunch of defenses, uh, try to set up those streamers ahead of time, and that's the way I'd like to use my bench. I, I don't want to gamble on a guy who I haven't seen play in so many weeks. You know, another unknown they have going on in Minnesota is Stephon Diggs. He was out last week with an injury. Is he going to play this week? And if he does, how good is he going to be? I mean, the reports make it seem like he's going to play. He's had a full week off because they played on Thanksgiving, uh, which is good. Um, The Cowboys don't have a great pass defense. They rank 15th in Football Outsiders DVOA against number one wide receivers, which is, I mean, Diggs is the only real legit receiver they have there. And Dallas has been particularly susceptible to slot receivers, and Diggs does a lot of his damage in the slot. So that's all on the positive side. Like on the flip side, though, Dallas has a really grinding pace with their offense. And what that does is it limits the opportunities for the opposing fantasy players. So if Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott are putting together these big, long, slow drives, it doesn't give the Minnesota offense as much opportunity to run you know, a high volume of plays. I don't think that impacts Diggs too much, though. I think he's a fine play, assuming he starts. Um, I have a little fear of re-injury, but I imagine you know most owners will be fine starting him. But others will have better options, too. I mean, this is a week where only two teams are on by. Now, how about Jeremy Macklin? He aggravated his hamstring in Week 9. Uh, he just started practicing again. Now, they've got a nice matchup against Atlanta, but uh, if he's a game-time decision, which way are you leaning on him? Oh, I, I think I'm out on Macklin, kind of for the same reasons I was with Peterson. It's just it's been a little too long since we played, like, or since he played. Soft tissue injuries to the lower body are a big hindrance to guys who rely on their speed uh, more than their size, like Macklin does. I'm kind of I'm staying away unless the reports at the end of this week are extremely positive. And even then, I have a feeling I'll probably already have a backup plan that I feel good about in most leagues. So I'd probably shy away. You know, the thing about Macklin is. He really hasn't even been very good. So even if he was healthy, uh, you know, had been healthy this entire time, I'm not sure I'd play him to begin with. So I'm just trying to talk people down off the ledge. That's why I wanted to bring him up is a lot of people are thinking, hey, Macklin's coming back. Got to get him in my lineup. But I'm not recommending that this week. No, I'm with you. 
Now, another player that's, uh, I guess you could call it an injury, is John Brown. He's dealing with a sickle cell trait, and it's it's aggravating his hamstring. So um, they're not sure if he's going to play, if he does play. I mean, he was really good for a stretch during the season, but he hasn't been the same yet. Is this injury just too much for you to be able to play him? I mean, he's super talented. We know that, but I think the writing's been on the wall for him for a little while. I think he may be cuttable in most redraft formats. I think with this better understanding we have of his limitations, it gives us a little extra confidence in Michael Floyd and J.J. Nelson. Um, is it enough confidence to start those guys? I probably wouldn't in a yearly league, but um, I, I don't know. I think if you're talking about like DFS, maybe uh, a tournament option, those two other receivers for uh, Arizona look pretty good to me. Washington has a, a pretty bad defense against number two wide receivers. They rank 27th in DVOA there. Um, the overall, though, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about the Cardinals offense as a whole. Carson Palmer really seems like he's hit the wall this year. He's fallen off that age cliff that, you know, when, when it hits quarterbacks, it hits them hard. Um, this team just doesn't seem to have the fight that we saw from them over the past couple of years. I, I think that this matchup is is OK, but I'm not excited about any of these options. And John Brown with with the injury or, or whatever you want to call it, the ailment is probably the, the scariest of all. Greg, let's move on and talk about rankings. We'll start at the quarterback position, and uh, this is just bizarre what's going on with Colin Kaepernick. Greg, if you would have come on the show in the preseason and told me that Colin Kaepernick was going to be a top 10 quarterback, a top 5 quarterback, I would have just laughed so hard at you. Um, But man, he is doing it. He's fighting for his career, and uh, he's been phenomenal. 34 points last week. Now, he's not going to repeat that, but you look at the other weeks, 18, 17, 25, 23, 19. He's getting it done. He has another good matchup this week. Uh, ECR has him here at number nine. The expert consensus, that's what ECR is, is saying we should start Colin Kaepernick. Are you trusting him? I think you absolutely have to at this point. I mean, as a Niners fan, I was kind of waiting for the wheels to come off of Kaepernick for a couple of weeks, but I didn't really account enough for how Chip Kelly's offense, like the pace of that Niners offense, just gives cap volume to overcome all the inefficiencies that he has. Like he's definitely a flawed quarterback. He makes a lot of bad decisions. He's sloppy and inaccurate, but you know, the bulk of his plays plus the rushing production that he, that he gives you those cure most ills for fantasy. My irrational side says I'm probably jinxing him by finally buying in, but I, I don't know. I'll rank him higher than I have in weeks past where I've been admittedly too low. And yeah, looking at this matchup against Chicago, I think that there are some red flags as there were with the past couple weeks, but you know, he beat he beat those red flags. I think he can do it again this week. He's got to be, you know, considered a QB1, uh, you know, top 12 at the position uh, heading into week 13. Now, Kirk Cousins, the ECR has him at number 12, and I'm looking at his game log right now. Eight of the past nine games, he's got multiple touchdowns. Over the past four games, he's got 458 yards, 262 against Minnesota, 375 and 449 on Thanksgiving with 53 pass attempts. What's he going to do against Arizona? Are you starting him? It's a tough one for me. The Cardinals still rank quite well in overall defense. Their season is on the line in this game, too, so I expect them to show up and play hard right from the start. I'm also really concerned about the potential loss of Jordan Reed. It sounds like he might not play. With that said, Arizona, they rank 29th uh, by DVOA uh, against number two wideouts. 
They allow 11% more targets and 25% more yardage to that position than the NFL average. So even if Reed sits, Washington does have the receiving depth. You know, Garcon, Crowder, uh, Deshaun Jackson, all, all those guys give them the depth for Cousins to be okay if they can dial up some mismatches with those wideouts. You know, I, I like Cousins a little bit. I don't, if for like a 10 or a 12 team league, I don't know if he'll be in that startable range for me, but I've got him just outside of that, probably between QB 13, QB 15. Uh, and I mean, at that point, the, the tier of quarterbacks there are probably between like QB 8 and QB 17 are also well clustered that I, I don't think that it, you're really nitpicking. And, and so I'm a little down on Cousins because of the matchup, but that's the main reason why. You know, I also want to say this. There was this notion about Kirk Cousins, and I guess I was guilty of spreading it too. He broke records at home last season. He was phenomenal at home, but he wasn't good away. These two games with 458 yards, 449, they were both an away game, so everyone can forget about that. He's going on the road again this week, but uh, don't buy into that narrative. It's not a thing anymore. He's plenty good on the road. Now I'm looking at Cam Newton's game log, and it is, it's just disgusting. Here we go. We've got the past eight games. He has one, two, three, four, five of eight games under 17 fantasy points in standard leagues. Dak Prescott has beat that every single game this season since week one. Is Cam Newton even a top 10 quarterback against a standard team, let alone Seattle this week? He's barely a top 20 quarterback for me this week. I have him at QB 20 in my rankings as as we're talking. Um, He's just playing in one of the NFL's toughest road venues. The Panthers are on their third string center. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin missed practice today, and, and I guess I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but I'm, it's Wednesday as we're recording. I mean, Cam can always make up for these losses, you know, with more fantasy production on the ground. But I don't, I don't know if you're a Cam owner. Do you really want to see him run a ton against Seattle? Like they hit so hard, like every hit he takes could be the one that knocks him out, gives him another concussion, and then it's Derek Anderson time, and no one wants that. So. I, I don't know. I'm I'm out on Cam. I'm very afraid of him in this matchup. I'm wondering if maybe he's not right. If one of these hits has really got to him and uh, and, he, and he's injured. I mean, he's a tough guy. He's going to play through a lot of things. He played after after he got in a car wreck that that could have killed him very quickly. Um, you know, he he's going to play if he's hurt, and I think he must be hurt. He's just not the same quarterback we're used to seeing. Yeah, it's always interesting how we find out a lot of that stuff after the season. Like, we have no real way of knowing right now with Cam or any other player. But, I mean, remember last year they talked about, or, or after the season, like Devontae Adams, you know, who's busting out in front of our eyes here in 2016. You know, we found out after the year that he was playing hurt for most of 2015. And, yeah, I mean, it's if you can diagnose that stuff and figure it out, you know, based upon performance of players in season when the teams aren't reporting it, that's kind of a significant advantage if you can leverage it. Yeah. All right, Tyrod Taylor. Look, I love this matchup. I've got Taylor higher than the expert consensus. ECR has him at 16 this week. I've got him up at 11, so I can see playing him at Oakland, which is a bad defense all around. Tyrod's got got the legs on him. Sammy Watkins is back, uh, and I understand he's you know he's hobbling around still with his foot. But look, I'm excited about this matchup this week. How do you feel about Tyrod? No, I'm with you. You have him at 11. I have him at 12. I think that you know the lack of volume with him is always the primary concern. But going up against Oakland, he'll face that you know that negative game script where the Bills won't be able just to you know lean back and hand the ball off a thousand times. The the Raiders should set the pace on offense, keep the Bills throwing. That forces Taylor to stay active. You know, not only passing the ball but with his feet. I think that potentially losing Sammy Watkins is a red flag. Like you said, he's he may not play this week after coming back last week. But 
Tyrod fared just well, you know, without his star wideout for the first 11 weeks of the season. Um, it, I'll be interested to see if Robert Woods plays. Uh, what what level of you know wide receiver one are we getting uh, for the Bills? But I, I just like the matchup too much. I think that you know the loss of a receiver doesn't necessarily damn him. Although if it turns out Watkins isn't going to play, he'll probably drop a spot or two in my rankings. Now the one ranking that just really confuses me is Jameis Winston all the way down at seventeen for expert consensus. You guys listening to the show know that I'm a big Jameis Winston fan, but just look at his game logs. 26, 28, 21, 18, 21, 19, 19, 17. He's getting it done. He's getting it done against good defenses. He did it against Seattle. And this week he gets San Diego, who's a really bad defense. They're missing Jason Verrett. I don't understand why this guy's not in the top 10. I've got him at number nine. And I think that might even be a little too low. But, you know, seeing him at 17 is kind of a sanity check. Can you validate my ranking or am I going crazy here, Greg? I think you might be going a little crazy. I, I like him more than consensus too, to be fair. Um, and, and I think when you consider Winston, you kind of have to do so in tandem with Mike Evans. Like they're kind of a package deal. And while Winston's matchup is kind of so-so, the Chargers allow the 19th most fantasy points to opposing QBs. They rank ninth in pass defense DVOA. The Chargers rank 18th in DVOA against number one wide receivers. And that bodes really well for Evans. And, you know, if Evans is going to have a good game, then Winston probably will too. Still, the the thing that concerns me is that San Diego's defense ranks first in interceptions, second in total takeaways, and turnovers have been a problem for Winston. Uh, he has 11 INTs on the year, tied for fifth most in the NFL to this point. I, I think he's a decent option, definitely startable in two quarterback formats and kind of in that same Kirk Cousins tier that we talked about earlier. Um, but he'll probably be outside my top 12. That, that's not to say he couldn't finish inside of the top 12, though. I mean, I, range of outcomes here, right? Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, I just can't see him. I mean, I can't see him finishing under 17 fantasy points, and that would put him right there in the top 12. I mean, you look at how consistent he's been. And in the past seven weeks, he just has three turnovers. Yeah, he started the season really bad, continuation from last year with all the turnovers, but he's really been getting it together. He hasn't even been throwing the ball that much, and I think this is going to be a shootout. So I think this could be Jameis' best game of the season. Um, I, I understand like if you guys just think I'm crazy here, but, um, I'm a big believer. I'm a real big believer in Jameis this week. I hope you're right. I'm starting him in one there of my There you leagues. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving over to running back. Neil Riddick goes to new Orleans and, uh, you know, he came back from injury after that blazing start and he really just hasn't been the same. Do you think that there's still something wrong with him or has it just been bad matchups or what's going on here? Are you starting him? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily matchups. I mean, in PPR, you have to start him. But um, in standard formats or half-point PPR, I'm, I'm a little more skeptical. Like, the Saints have really stepped up their defensive game against the run in recent weeks. They've improved their rushing defense DVOA every week since week nine. They were 28th in the NFL at that point, And at this point now, they're 15th in the NFL. So they've figured some stuff up. They've figured some stuff out against uh, the run. Fortunately for Riddick, though, they still rank dead last against running backs as receivers, so I think you can start him. Um, but now that basically everyone is healthy in Detroit's receiving core, Riddick's just not seeing the same market share of touches that you know made us fall in love earlier in the year, right? Like I said, I think he's fine in PPR. In standard scoring, I'm less optimistic. You know, he still got 79% of the snap count last week, and uh, you know he went against Minnesota, Jacksonville, who's a much improved defense this year. And then Minnesota again. So those seven, eight, five points, um, I'm not really that scared off by it. I understand New Orleans defense has got a lot better, but they're nowhere close to Minnesota at this point. So I think Riddick is an RB2. That's where ECR has him at number 19. Um, so for those of you wondering about Riddick, you know, if you should drop him, I've got that question a couple times. Don't drop him. Start him this week. Yeah, I think he's fine. And I, 
I am curious to see if like what how's this game going to play out right if New Orleans jumps out to a huge lead does that force Stafford to make more throws further down the field you know in an attempt to like rapidly catch up or do they still kind of grind it out with that short passing work to Riddick and Golden Tate this is kind of a fascinating matchup to be honest I don't think they change their game plan if they're down. I mean, they're, they're going to do the uh, the short passes all game, no matter what. It's what they've done all season. And uh, I think th- he's kind of game script proof. You know, if they're ahead, they run the ball and he gets he gets touches. If they're down, they throw the ball and he gets touches. Uh, he's a real nice, reliable running back. I wish I would have had the insight to draft him this year. Yeah, I was on him in PPR, but that was it. He definitely has had standard value in some leagues, but um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I wish I had him more, to be honest. Now, Thomas Rawls, he came with a lot of hype in the preseason. Then he got hurt, and uh, he came back, and he hasn't really done anything special. Now, it doesn't help that that Seattle offensive line is just terrible. 23 quarterback pressures against Tampa Bay last week. Do you start Thomas Rawls against Carolina? I mean, I, I see ECR is a believer in Thomas Rawls, but... Uh, they have him at 17. I don't have him as startable. I've got him down at 26. I don't think he really improves against this defense. Yeah, I haven't finalized my running back rankings just yet, but it is a lot easier to attack the Panthers with the pass than it is with the run, and that gives me some skepticism with Rawls. You know, he could always pound in a touchdown. He's the lead back there. He's the goal line guy, but I'm pretty sure his yardage is going to be lackluster in this game. I know that the Saints and the Raiders have had success in the past two weeks against Carolina on the ground, but those two teams' offensive lines are much better than, like you said, the the Seahawks blocking unit. I think that he's a starter based upon the presumed volume of carries, but based on the matchup, I think he's a low-end starter. So yeah, I think somewhere in the like RB22 to RB28 range seems about right to me. Now, Greg, where do you stand on Robert Kelly? He had the big three-touchdown performance against Green Bay. He was pretty good against Minnesota. Whenever he's got touches, I think he's been really good, but he gets Arizona this week. Where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, his workload kind of evaporated against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. I I kind of expect more of the same this week against Arizona. The Cards have held running backs to the second-fewest fantasy points this season. Uh, Their defense is ranked 11th by DVOA against the run. I think there's little hope for him in the receiving game as well. Like we talked about how Riddick is game script independent. Kelly is very game script dependent. You know, if they have to throw a lot in this game, which is possible. I mean, they're kind of a team that's built to throw. Chris Thompson is the the better receiving back. Arizona ranks first in defense against backs as pass catchers anyway. I I think if you're going to play touchdown bingo, you know, go for just hoping that Kelly gets a goal line touch and converts. That's fine. Um, You know, that you... You could do worse, I guess, but I'm not. I'm not big on him this week. He'll be. He'll probably be a flex play for me at best. Yeah, he's a flex play for me as well. ECR has him at 23. That's exactly where I got him, and that's startable. Now I'm not going to be excited about him, but other weeks, yeah, I'll probably have him as an RB two. Um, but a lot of people are looking at this matchup and saying Robert Kelly. I'm not really sure about this guy, especially against Arizona. I'm not starting him, but. Uh, I would recommend starting him just because, like you said, he's going to get goal line carries, he's going to get touches, and even against a good defense, when you've got those two things going for you, you're usually startable. Yeah, 23 seems a little high to me, but yeah, I mean, no judgments. (laughs) All right, Wendell Smallwood at Cincinnati. ECR has him at 26. Now, obviously, we're not exactly sure what's going on with this Philadelphia backfield, but based on what we know now, would you recommend starting him? I think I would. Like, I'm not a big fan of the Philly passing options this week, but I think this is a sneaky good matchup for the running backs. I mean, the Eagles have shown a tendency to, to lean on the run whenever possible just to keep the ball out of Wentz's hands. And, you know, with A.J. Green out, Giovanni Bernard out for Cincinnati, 
Philly's defense should have you know, little trouble making this a grinded-out game where they can just feature the running backs, Smallwood and Sproles, uh, on the offensive side of the ball while they let their defense try to win it for them on the other side You know, against that Cincinnati offense that's been neutered in recent weeks. Now we've got Kenneth Dixon, who I've been really excited about all season. He finally went from 11 touches, 11 touches, 6 touches, to 17 last week. And uh, he continues to get more and more snaps. He gets Miami. Todd Gurley just had his best game of the season against Miami. And I understand their defense is getting a lot better, but they do give up big plays. I think Kenneth Dixon can bust one loose. How do you feel, Greg? Yeah, I mean, I think he should continue to eat away at Terrence West's workload. Um, The timeshare still is a problem if you own either guy. Um, and like you said, Miami's defense is, is decent, um, especially in the, against running backs in the passing game, uh, fifth in DVOA there. They allow 26% less receiving yardage to backs than the league average. That's that's a big drop-off. So a lot of Dixon's receiving uh, appeal is gone in this matchup uh, based upon you know these numbers. But w- with that said, I, th- I think the upside is there. Like We know he's talented. We know he's going to keep taking away more work uh, from that, you know, from that backfield. And I don't think it's hateful to start him. I, I wouldn't feel great if he was my RB2, but I think as a flex play in a standard league, Dixon should be fine. Now, finally, Greg, James Starks at the running back position. He's been really unproductive, but he keeps getting all the touches. He had 22 touches against Philadelphia. He gets Houston this week. Are they going to start giving the ball to Michael finally, or is he going to keep getting touches? Yeah, I, I think Starks is going to keep getting those touches. Like His rushing production has been subpar, but he's been pretty effective in the passing game. Um, Houston is slipping on defense. They rate especially poor against running backs as receivers. Uh, the Texans allow better than average receiving yardage on a below average number of targets. That's efficiency right there. You know, I'm always looking for players in good offenses with efficient matchups. And I think Starks fits the bill. I, I, I like him more than most of the running backs we've talked about so far, except for maybe Smallwood. I, I think Starks, I, I, I'll rank Starks higher because he's a better bet for more touches. All right, Greg, let's move over to the wide receiver position. And Willie Sneed has just been so off and on all season. He'll go for a huge game and then he'll have four quiet weeks. What's it going to be this week face Detroit? Yeah, I think he's generally underrated, but this isn't an especially great spot for him. Number two wide receivers have only averaged 38.3 yards per game against Detroit. Uh, And based on this week's reports, you know, a get right game could be coming for Brandon Cooks. And we could argue about who the true number two wide receiver on the Saints is, whether it's you know Michael Thomas or Snead or even Cooks. But just the, the fact of the matter is, is that the number one receiver fares much better against Detroit than the number two. And I think we can pretty clearly say that Snead is not the number one. Um, I think he remains startable because any receiver in this offense could go off in any game, especially in a good matchup like this. Um, it all kind of depends on how Detroit tries to defend the Saints because – we know that Drew Brees is the type of quarterback who's going to look for the open guy, look for the mismatch, and try to exploit that. So it's really hard to say you know, ahead of time who that receiver is going to be, but I think he can start all of the Saints wide receivers this week. Yeah, ECR's got him at 32, which is startable in a standard 10-team flex league. But you know, I'm looking at his game log. He's been above 10 points three times all season, and I just don't like to start guys that are more than likely not going to be worth it. I think you can get someone who's a lot more reliable. Cole Beasley is getting consistent targets, and I understand he's going up against Minnesota, but he just keeps getting the ball thrown his way. He's going to get you 50 uh, receiving yards, and he's you know probably got a 50% chance at a touchdown. So I like him and players like that a little better than uh, than kind of a home run shot like Willie Sneed this week. Yeah, it all kind of depends on what your lineup needs, right? Like if you just want you know 10 to 15 points from a wide receiver, you'd start a guy like Beasley over Sneed. But if you need that you know, 150-yard, two-TD game, then Sneed's your, Sneed's your man. 
All right, how about Devontae Parker against Baltimore? Baltimore has been a really good defense this season, but, you know, Jimmy Smith has been banged up, and Devontae Parker has been surging. Are you starting this week? I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't really own, I don't really own him anywhere, so it's hard for me to get a good feel for where I would start him. I'm not, like, a fan of the Ravens' offense, but their defense is very good. And I, I do feel like they could give Miami some fits this week. I'm not sure that Miami is as good as they've looked recently. Um, I, I just don't trust many of the Miami skill position players this week based on the matchup. I'd probably err on the side of benching a guy like Parker if I had a, if I felt like I had a better option. I'm almost wondering if he's coming into his own, like 103, 79, 64. Those are his yards over the past three weeks. And, uh, you know, one of those games was against Los Angeles, so... I think this time next year, we'll be talking about him as a, a reliable low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. I'm not sure he's there at that point. I don't trust him until I see it a little bit longer, especially at Baltimore this week. So I'm with you. ECR has him at 35. I've got him bumped down a little bit lower. So yeah, go ahead and start him in a 12-team league, but a 10-team league, I'm staying away. Yeah, I agree. You can do better in a smaller league like that. How about Kenny Britt? I just can't believe Kenny Britt is having such a good season. He's been consistent all season. He's getting red zone looks. He's got New England, and this is a great game script for him. They're going to be throwing the ball over the yard with Jared Goff. And look, as bad as Goff may be, he might end up being really good, but he's not right now. He's a lot better than Case Keenum, though. So I think Kenny Britt is uh, is trending upwards just because Goff is in the lineup. How do you feel about him? Yeah, I mean, the, the Patriots are a really nice matchup for wide receivers. The The problem here is Goff. You know, is how good can he be in a negative game script? I mean, he's going to be on the road in a cold game. He's been living in Los Angeles for the past, you know, however many months. I, I don't know how well he can do in this matchup if the Patriots kind of settle on just making life hell for him. I know their defense isn't very good, but I feel like they should be fine against a rookie quarterback in this sort of situation. With that said, can Britt still get there just on volume? Yeah, sure. I, I think that that's fine. I probably would prefer him to a guy like Devontae Parker, if only because you know the the matchup is more favorable from a wide receiver standpoint. But I, I do have concerns about just quarterback play, possibly submarining Britt's, Britt's day uh, on Sunday. Now, we know that Alshon's out for suspension for the Bears, and Kevin White's been gone all season. A lot of people were thinking that it was going to be Cameron Meredith. Some people were saying Eddie Royal. It turns out it's a guy who's hardly been involved all season. Marquise Wilson in his first game, eight receptions, 125 yards for a touchdown. It seems like every time this guy gets a chance, he delivers. Now they get San Francisco this week. Is Matt Barkley going to keep throwing in the ball? Yeah, all aboard the Barkley bandwagon. <laughs> oh, man. I'm in. <laughs> I, San Francisco is just such a good matchup. It, it really has less to do with either of these players and more to do with just how bad the Niners are on that side of the ball. They're atrocious. Um, we have a rider at two QBs. His name is Sean uh, Fackety and his points allowed versus expectation met metric. He calls it PAVE, P-A-V-E, um, shows that the Niners allow 16% more production to wide receivers than expectation. That's most in the league. Oh, um, that's incredible. Yeah, he, it's very easy for wide receivers to overperform against the Niners. Um, and give Sean a, a follow on Twitter at Fantasy Process. Uh, you can find his work on our site. But a um, little plug for him there. I hope you don't mind. But uh, that that was pretty eye opening for me because you would think that that teams would just run the ball over San Francisco all, all the time, but. I think the Niners know that, right? We saw that against the Dolphins. They stacked the line against Jay Ajayi, and that let, you know, Devontae Parker and all those other receivers kind of go ham because 
if you can't stop the run, you're toast. Um, if you can stop the run, even if you're overcommitting, maybe the quarterback makes mistakes or gets lazy, right? Um, but yeah, this this matchup here with Barkley and Wilson, I think you gotta like it. I, I like them both this week. Now I'm just shaking my head. We've got Will Fuller ECR all the way down at 53. And uh, maybe I'm just buying into the hype a little bit too much. But in three of the first four weeks, we saw some brilliance out of this kid. He can be a real good wide receiver. He gets Green Bay this week, which is such a juicy matchup. And and I got a little taste last week with San Diego, four for 60. Does he do it this week? Should he be moved way up or am I crazy on this one too? I'm surprised you're in on Fuller if you're out on Snead because they're kind of, they're similar players, right? They're very boom bust. I, I mean, Green and, Bay, we, man, that's what it's about here. Yeah. I mean, we, we did talk about how if you, you may just need a, a huge performance to win and you know, that might be what you get from Fuller uh, in Green Bay. Uh, they have the worst defense against number two wide receivers by DVOA. The problem that I see is that Green Bay also has the worst defense by that metric against number one wide receivers. <laughs> and so that's how most teams have chosen to attack Green Bay. They, they don't worry about getting it to the tertiary guys. They go right to the number one. And I think that that, in this case, is going to be DeAndre Hopkins. Now, back in the beginning of the year, we argued whether Fuller had become the, the wide receiver one on that team. I think that we've seen rec- you know since then that he's he's not. He's still a limited player. He's kind of just a go-route and nothing else. But he could he have a good game? Absolutely. But I think the basement is pretty low as well. Now, somebody else that had a lot of hype going into the season, another rookie wide receiver, Sterling Shepard. I'm guilty as charged. Um, he hasn't been that great, but he's been pretty consistent. Now, he came off a zero at Cleveland last week, so a lot of people are skeptical. But do you think he does it against Pittsburgh this week? Yeah, I saw a report that Eli Manning apologized to Shepard for the zero targets. <laughs> and uh, I'll apologize if I don't completely buy into those sorts of narratives. Uh, but, yeah. you know, Shepard was a guy before last week who had seen a good enough amount of volume, especially in the red zone, to where I think you could start him in a good matchup like this against Pittsburgh. This has shootout potential. Um, you know, in contrast to the Green Bay defense, uh, where, you know, all the wide receivers are, you know, poised to eat. Pittsburgh has been really bad against number one wide receivers, but good against number two wide receivers. That's a strike against Shepard because, you know, they could just throw to OBJ all day. But because OBJ is so good, it tilts this little balancing act of the matchup, right? He he could draw extra attention away from Shepard and give Shepard more room to kind of overcome what seems to be a bad matchup. I probably won't have him in my top 30, but deep leaguers, I think, could consider Shepard startable this week. Yeah, Shepard runs such great routes. I think this is a good matchup for him. I think he'll deliver for fantasy owners. His ceiling is really low, though. So uh, if you're going up against one of these gauntlet teams in your league, don't start Shepard. Start the guy like Willie Sneed, Will Fuller, one of those guys. Um, pick someone up, Doriel Green Beckham, who we're going to talk about in just a minute, that, that has some real big upside. But um, yeah, I think Shepard's going to be pretty reliable this week. I've got him at 37. That sounds about right to me. All right, so Doriel Green-Beckham, I'm excited about him. Um, I, I don't know how you can't be with this kind of talent. He's been getting targets lately, and I understand a lot of that last week was because Jordan Matthews was hurt. Matthews is probably going to play this week, but based on what I've been seeing out of him, five receptions, five receptions, six receptions, he's getting hot. He's a great red zone target. Greg, how do you feel about uh, Doriel Green-Beckham this week at Cincinnati? Yeah, it's, it's really nice to see his target volume on the rise like you were talking about, but I talked earlier about the concerns I have with 
the Eagles passing game in this particular matchup. I'm just not sure they're going to have to pass much to beat the Bengals, considering how good their defense is. It is on the road. I think that bodes a little bit better for the Bengals to keep this competitive. Um, but I think you can kind of expect those like tight end type numbers for Green Beckham, like he's been posting, you know, the, the five for 60, the, the four for 55. Uh, I think that kind of game is where I would expect him to land. And if that's something you need, then yeah, by all means, put him into your lineup. All right, moving over to tight end, we've got Cameron Britt at San Diego. ECR has him at number nine. I'm not so sure I buy it. He's been pretty good lately, especially since uh, Vincent Jackson went out for the season. Um, but I, I just I don't see that much talent in this guy. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of tight ends here in this you know eight to fifteen range that are better than Cameron Brait. Um, tell me what you think, Greg. No, I'm absolutely with you. Uh, like most tight ends, he's been really touchdown dependent. You look at his game log, you look at the games where he's posted nice scores, it's because he's gotten into the end zone. And I think that that's because they use him down there, so you can't totally discount that. But when he doesn't score the TDs, you can see those bad games coming. And so if you want to play touchdown roulette, you know, like we talked about with Rob Kelly earlier, you can do that here with Braid as well. I think that's fine, but you're doing that with most tight ends week to week. So I don't think that he's necessarily a better option than, than some of these other names you're looking at. Um, I, I think that's a great call. One of the guys listed below him in ECR is Zach Ertz, and I'm a lot higher on Ertz than I am on Cameron Bray. You and me both. He had a stinker last week, three for 36 against Green Bay when everyone was expecting a nice big game. But, you know, the previous three weeks, eight for 97, six for 55, six for 35 with a touchdown against Seattle. So I'm a buyer this week on Zach Ertz. I, there's no question for me. He's in my top 10. You're with me? Oh, yeah. This matchup is its great. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's going to be lucrative for fantasy owners. There are like so many positive words we could use to describe it. I'm licking my chops. Yeah, because there are a lot of different metrics that like the matchup, too. The Bengals rank 25th in DVOA against tight ends. They allow the fourth most fantasy points to tight ends. If we go back to Sean's pave metric, the Bengals allow 48% more fantasy points versus expectation according to to that and that's tops in the nfl by a pretty big margin so with all that in mind i'm willing to overlook you know the potential negative effects that i talked about with carson wentz earlier uh and doriel green beckham because it just seems like it's going to be so easy for them to attack the Bengals with the tight end position i love Hertz this week now kobe fleener i gave up on him a long time ago but there's some hype with him right now because two weeks ago we got a, t- a touchdown and uh, and ended up with five points which you're gonna think is impossible but he had a fumble in there and barely had any yards so five points two weeks ago five points last week with four for 59 against Los Angeles and everyone's saying oh maybe we should start Kobe Fleener again no don't do it do you agree Greg <laughs> uh yeah I'm kind of with you I I We've, we've seen him fall out of favor. You know, he's not getting the snap count that even Josh Hill is getting there. Um, Josh Hill has been on the field more than Fleener most of the time. But with that said, Fleener, except for last week, has out-targeted Hill in every game this season. So so I don't think we should rush to proclaim Hill like the new sheriff in town. But I don't know. Like, I think the matchup against Detroit is good enough for both tight ends to be usable. The problem is it's, is that there's that uncertainty between the two of them. And with that in mind, I'm, I'm more likely to stay away. It's kind of like that running back by committee aspect we talked about with Terrence West and Kenneth Dixon. If they both get used, we don't know if either one's going to get used enough to be fantasy relevant. And that's my primary concern with Fleener. I'm just not sure he's that good either. I, I think that if you're looking to start a tight end, uh, you could probably do better. Speaking of someone that I just don't think is that good, Vance McDonald, I think he's maybe the 35th 
40th best tight end of the league. He just happens to be starting because he's in San Francisco. ECR has him at 16. Now, I understand that's not startable in most leagues, but, you know, you have deeper leagues, two tight end leagues, what have you. Are you buying into Vance McDonald? I mean, we've got guys, Lance Kendricks, who's getting a lot more targets. Uh, Somebody like uh, Charles Clay, who against Oakland, the worst at defending the tight end. He's down at 29. Austin Hooper is one of the most efficient tight ends in the league. I like them all better than McDonald. Tell me why you disagree. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in on McDonald. He's become the Niners' most reliable receiving threat. Like, since their Week 8 bye, you look at his numbers versus the rest of the San Francisco receivers, he leads the team in targets, receptions, receiving TDs, and fantasy points. So this is a decent matchup against the Bears. We have no reason to expect a drop-off from him. Like, they, they're going to keep using him because their wide receivers are trash. So, yeah, I mean, for, he may not be very good. You may be right about that, but... The, the opportunity here is too great to ignore. Like, I'd definitely use him over Fleener. I'd use him over Charles Clay. Uh, yeah, I like him a lot. I think that he's he's a fine option this week. Interesting. I was really hoping he'd side with me, but now I feel kind of bad about myself. No, I mean, I get it. He He's not an, a, an especially interesting player, but it, like I said, it's all about the opportunity. All right, defenses. Which streamer do you love this week? I don't really love any of them to be honest yeah it's a bad it's, week for it isn't it it's a, yeah it projects to be a really bad week for streaming defenses but i mean we say that but i know that some of them are going to hit right so so one team i do like is san diego um mentioned earlier how they rank first in interceptions second in total takeaways uh, among all nfl teams how turnovers have been a problem for Jameis winston i think thanks to you know that turnover creating ability um san diego is a fine option here, even if they don't have the reputation of being a stout defense. I like Green Bay, and I know that sounds crazy because they've just been giving up so many yards, so many touchdowns. But Brock Osweiler's just kind of a gimme, isn't he? Yeah, no, totally. I like Green Bay a lot, too. And I think I'd probably stream Green Bay ahead of San Diego if given the choice. I have a feeling that San Diego would be available in more leagues, though. That's funny because I, uh, I have the Chargers over the Packers, so we just we just named each other's defenses. Okay, well, I mean, I mean, it's close. I mean, with this stuff, it, it's all—it's really coin flippy sometimes. Another, another one is um, Cincinnati uh, going up against Carson Wentz. I've talked about that matchup at length, but um, I think that Cincy will be owned for that reason a lot too. Um, they play Cleveland next week as well, so it, those enterprising look-ahead streamers probably have already picked them up. Now, if I have to go really deep, uh, they're not really even on the radar. They're not top twenty in ECR. It's the Chicago Bears. They've had some pretty good weeks. And look, I know Colin Kaepernick's been a man on fire, but try to remember, this guy throws a lot of pick sixes. He fumbles the ball. Who else do they have? You're talking about Vance McDonald being his best wide receiver. And then they've got Carlos Hyde running the ball. I I just don't believe in the San Francisco 49ers defense. We've been picking on them all season, and it's usually worked out. So if you are in a deep league and you need a defense in a pinch, don't hesitate to go get the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I talked earlier about how I think that, you know, the the Niners and Kaepernick in in general are are dangerous to use from that, you know, turnover perspective. So I I totally like that call. If I'm going to go real deep, how about the Jaguars? Uh, They're at home facing the mediocre Trevor Simeon. And his team team just played a really punishing primetime game against Kansas City. So they could be hurting a little bit, you know, maybe not quite ready or, or not. It feels like a bit of a quote-unquote trap game. I don't really believe in that narrative too much, but um, I think that just in general, the Jaguars could be in a good spot to post, you know, four to eight fantasy points here if things go right. I love the Jaguars' young defense. Uh, I don't especially this year, but I think this is a good matchup. I'll say this. 
two years from now, we could talk about the we could be talking about the Jaguars defense being a top five uh, defensive special teams unit. They have some real good young players on their squad. Yeah, think about how long ago it was that the Minnesota defense was not good for fantasy, right? And they, I mean, now they're one of the top five. So, yeah, I could totally see that. The, the problem with the Jaguars is that they don't really create a lot of turnovers, and, and that's an issue. But, you know, that could just be variance, and, and who knows? Maybe this game going up against Semyon, they, they could do better than that. We'll see. All right, Greg. Well, that's all the questions we have for you this week. Appreciate you coming on. It was fun, and uh, we'll see who's right about Vance McDonald, right? Yeah, man, it's always a good time to come on. Uh, I love I love this podcast. You guys are, are very kind to have me on yet again. And um, like, yeah, like you, I'm looking forward to week 13. Let's do this. For those of you guys listening, we got one more show coming up this week with Justin McMahon of Daily Fantasy Insider. They've been doing real well, and it's for the DFS episode. So make sure to tune in for that. Get some great advice. We've got three more episodes coming up next week. And also hop on over and check out the Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're going to be recording on Friday. Should get that show up around the weekend. And I host that one too. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love baseball. I'm excited to start talking about it. So please check it out. Subscribe to both shows on iTunes. Really uh, helps us out a lot. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.